Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join Lead Pastor Mike Wiggins with the message, I'm Alive. I want to ask you to turn to three different places. The first place is going to be John chapter 3. That's where we're going to start the message, John chapter 3. And if you're new to the Bible and you're not sure where John is, if you just go to the back, you'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So John 3. And then the second place we're going to be this morning is going to be Romans 6. And Romans is just two books to the right of John. And then we're going to end the message in Acts 2, which is right in the middle of John and Romans. So John 3, Romans 6, and Acts 2. As people continue to come in, um, just know, ushers, we have three $100 seats right here. And we're not even going to charge that much. And we got a row of $50 seats over here. So, how's everybody doing? Good, good. I'm doing great. This is um, number four out of five. So, pray for my voice that it holds up all the way through the 1230 service today. But I told my wife this morning when I, we were coming to church, I could do this all weekend long. What, what an honor it is to stand and proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It doesn't get any better than this. And so if you found John chapter 3, just say amen so I know you're there. Amen. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we're grateful that we were able to worship you in spirit and in truth through song. We know your word says that you inhabit the praises of your people. And we're grateful for the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. Not just here with the adults, but next door with our kids. Thank you that they're learning about your son Jesus on their level. And Father, I pray that in both places, you would have your way in each individual life. Thank you that you love us. And thank you, Lord, that you want to do a work in us. So help us to be open to whatever it is you want to say. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. All right, well, this week I asked myself the question, what are some of the most important events in all of human history? And so what I did, like many of you do in this age of technology, is I did a Google inquiry. What are the most important events in all of human history? As you can imagine, nobody agrees um, but there's different lists on Google. I'm just going to uh, uh, list 10 of the probably over 100 um, things that I saw this week, 10 of the most important events in human history. These are not in any order of importance. But I saw that they listed the discovery of the new world by Christopher Columbus, the Renaissance, which brought the cultural rebirth in Europe, the, the Boston Tea Party, which led to the American Revolution, and they also included the Tennis Court Oath, which subsequently led to the French Revolution. They talked about the invasion of Poland by Germany, leading to World War II. They talked about the Nuremberg Trials, which held the Nazis accountable for their crimes against humanity. 
especially the, uh, for their crime against the Jews and the Holocaust. They listed the Industrial Revolution as our agrarian world turned into an industrial world. They, they talked about the civil rights movement and the importance of uh, uh, equal rights for all people. And then the Berlin Wall and how it fell, and that ended the Cold War, and then, of course, the invention of the Internet and the age of technology that we live in now. Now, as you go through those events and hundreds like it, you know that all of those events were monumental in their significance because they literally changed the lives of millions and millions of people. But on this Easter Sunday, I submit to you that there is one event that transcends every other historical event in human history. One event that's more important than any other event, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important event in all of human history. Of course, before Christ rose, he preexisted. He was born, he lived, he suffered, and he died. And so the whole thing is the gospel, which means good news. And so his preexistence is very significant. In John 1, 1, John, talking about Jesus, said, in the beginning was the Word. Okay, so the Word, he's talking in the context about Jesus Christ. He said, in the beginning. What beginning? The beginning of the creation of the material universe. In the beginning of the creation of the material universe was already existing the Word. You see, Jesus was not created in a virgin's womb 2,000 years ago. Jesus is the eternal word. He's always been and always will be. He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. John said, under the inspiration of the Spirit, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so his preexistence is very significant, as is his birth. Because in John 1.14, it says that the, that the word um, took on human flesh, that the, that, that, that the word became man and dwelt among us. And so his preexistence is significant, his birth is significant, his life is significant. Why? Because no one ever did the amount of or the uh, amazing miracles that Jesus Christ did. Yes, Elijah and Elisha and Moses and the apostles did miracles, but my goodness, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see that over and over and over again, Jesus did miraculous signs in order to help people. Nobody ever did that in that quantity, in that power, and not only that, but he's the only one in human history who lived a perfect life. He did not sin, not even one time. And of course, his suffering and his death, so significant. Why? Because it was prophesied 700 years before it happened. In Isaiah 53, Isaiah the prophet said, speaking about the sufferings of the Christ who would come in the future, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are what? Healed. 
That's 8th century B.C. And so his pre-existence, his birth, his life, his suffering and death, all very, very significant. But you need to know that the best news of all is that Jesus rose again. And here's why. Because the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead authenticated who he said he was. He said, I am. (laughs) He's the son of God. And not only that, his resurrection authenticated everything that he ever said in the Gospels, everything that he ever did. And greatest of all, by his resurrection, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he defeated man's three greatest enemies, Satan, sin, and the grave. I would say that's pretty significant. And so all the other aforementioned uh, historical events, yes, they were important, but compared to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they are mere dim candles compared to the blazing noonday sun. Jesus Christ, the Lord, is not dead in a grave in Israel. He's alive. He's alive right now. Now, of course, how many of you know they're skeptics? And so the skeptics will say, well, hey, time out, pastor. Well, we know that all the aforementioned historical events, we know they actually took place in history. Nobody can be certain that Jesus of Nazareth was raised from the dead. That's just religious conjecture. And I would say to that skeptic, obviously, you haven't done your research. Because around A.D. 56, the Apostle Paul, with pen in hand, wrote a letter to the church at Corinth, and this is what he said. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 3. He said, I delivered to you as of the first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the what? And that he was buried... And that he was raised on the third day in accordance with what? The scriptures. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you need to know that Paul was not talking about the New Testament at the back of your Bible. This is A.D. 56. The New Testament is not completed yet. So when he says the scriptures, he's talking about the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament. Notice, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament. And we know from places like Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, Daniel chapter 9, that prophecies went forth hundreds of years before it happened that the Christ would come and he would suffer and he would die. What do you call that? Fulfilled prophecy. What do you call that? Evidence that this book is unlike any other book in the whole world. But not only that, he said that Christ was raised on the third day in accordance with the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament. And we know that in Psalm 16, verse 10, David prophesied that God would not allow his holy one, the Christ, to see corruption. That was an utterance 1,000 years before Jesus walked the earth, but David said, That when the Messiah comes, his body will not be allowed to to corrupt in the grave. And so, when you think through all of these things, Paul continued to say, he says that the risen Christ appeared first to Cephas, okay, that's Peter, and then to the 12, 
And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Now, this is very significant here. Most of whom are what? Still alive in AD 56. Though some have died or fallen asleep. Then the risen Christ appeared to James. This is his little half-brother. We know that Jesus from the Gospels had four little half-brothers. That means that after the Virgin Mary gave birth to the Christ, her and Joseph consummated the marriage and had kids. One of the little half-brothers was James. The Gospels declare that James and his brothers did not believe in Jesus. They did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Can you imagine the shock and awe of little brother James after his big brother was murdered on a cross when all of a sudden he looked up and there's big brother risen from the dead? Can you imagine the shock and the awe of James? And I got to believe Jesus being the big brother went over, put him in a headlock, gave him a noogie and said, do you believe now, brother? He appeared. This is not myth. This is not fantasy. He appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, Paul said, by the way, he used to be Saul, the greatest persecutor of the church, who saw the risen Christ and then became the greatest missionary for the church. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul said that the risen Christ appeared to Peter, the 12, over 500 brothers, James, all the apostles, and finally to himself. But the skeptics never give up. And so the skeptics say, well, how do you know Paul didn't lie when he wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 15? And here's how we know that Paul did not lie. If you're with me, say amen right here. Here's how we know Paul didn't lie because he said that most of the over 500 people who saw the risen Christ were still alive. That means that if you lived in AD 56, all you had to do was go knock on the door, the doors of over 250 people, look them in the eye and say, did you really see Jesus alive from the dead? And every single one of them, over 250 that were still alive in AD 56, would look you straight back in the eye and say, absolutely, we saw Jesus alive. What do you call that? We call that irrefutable evidence that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical fact. It's a fact. It's no religious conjecture. Give me a break. Now, I could go on and on and on about the evidence, but what I want to do is just tell you that my favorite movie of all time is Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. My second favorite Christian movie is The Case for Christ. The Case for Christ is a true story about an avowed atheist. Didn't believe in God, but his wife became a Christian, and he got mad. And so he was an investigative, just true story, investigative uh, reporter for the Chicago Tribune. And so he was so angry that his wife became a Christian, he decided to use his investigative skills to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what Lee Strobel found over the next months of research absolutely changed his life. 
And so you can watch The Case for Christ for free on Netflix. I highly recommend it, but it goes way deeper than we have time this morning into the evidence that proves the resurrection is a fact of history. You see, what Paul said was true. Christ did die in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised again the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And so here's your big question on this Easter Sunday morning. The big question is this. Since we know Christ is alive from the dead, how should we respond? I'm gonna give you three ways that we can respond this morning. And number one, here's the first step. We need to believe to receive new life. Say new life. From the risen Christ. And the best passage that I think in the Bible that talks about this new life is in John chapter three. So let's look at John chapter three this morning, starting in verse one. And so this is for you who are visiting. This is just kind of a taste of what we do every single Sunday as we go verse by verse through the scriptures. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, and he was a ruler of the Jews. Okay, so here we have Nicodemus. Let me introduce him before we get to verse two. Nicodemus, it says right here that he was a Pharisee. That means that Nicodemus was part of a very radical religious group of men, 6,000 according to Josephus, the first century historian, 6,000 men that made up the Pharisees. These 6,000 men vowed that they were going to keep the 613 commandments of God in Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. 613 commandments. These 6,000 religious men said, we're going to spend our lives keeping God's commandments. He was a Pharisee. But at the end of verse 1, it says that he was a ruler of the Jews, that means he was part of a smaller group called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was made up of 70 Jewish men plus the high priest, and they were the supreme court of Israel. They ruled in Jesus' day over Israel. And so here comes this very prominent Jewish man named Nicodemus, and it says now in verse 2 that this man came to Jesus by what? By night. And he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. It's very interesting. Why did he come by night? Well, scholars believe that he wanted to keep it a secret from his colleagues in the Sanhedrin because most of them already hated Jesus. <laughs> And so he went under the cover of night, and regardless of the negative peer pressure, he knew something was different about Jesus, and he wanted to find out what Jesus was all about. And you need to know also that Nicodemus was not only a Pharisee and not only a member of the Sanhedrin, he was very, very wealthy. The Talmud, which is an extra-biblical commentary on Jewish history and culture, the Talmud says that Nicodemus was one of the four richest men in all of Jerusalem. And so this guy is very respected, he's very religious, and he's very rich. But here's what's sad. 
Nicodemus is very lost. Did you know that you can be religious and lost at the very same time? You see, you can know about God in your head without really knowing God in your heart. And so he comes to Jesus by night. Let's see how the Lord responded to him in verse three. Jesus answered him and said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. By the way, for those of you who are new to the Bible, that's one of the most important verses in all of scripture, John 3, 3. Let's let's read it again. Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is what? Born again, right there in the Bible. He cannot see the kingdom of God. And so the Lord Jesus has x-ray vision. He's God in the flesh. He sees straight in Nicodemus' heart, and he knows exactly what this religious man needs. And he says, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus is scratching his head. He doesn't get it. And so how does, how does Nicodemus respond in verse four? He says to Jesus, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? And so here you have this prominent religious teacher, the teacher of Israel, and he's not getting it. He's scratching his head. Here's why. Because Jesus was speaking up here on a spiritual level And Nicodemus was thinking down here on a natural level. He says, what are we supposed to do? Climb back up into our mother's wombs to be born again? Well, no, Nicodemus, that would be gross. And so let's see what what Jesus says here in verse 5. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, say water, and of the spirit, say spirit, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, water. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit, Holy Spirit. So what did Jesus mean by being born of water and being born of the spirit? Well, in the context, if we leave verse five in his context, water, he's speaking about the first birth or natural birth, and the spirit, he's speaking about the second birth, which is spiritual birth. You see, Jesus said in verse six, that which is born of flesh is flesh. In other words, that which is born of water, speaking about a mother's water sack that breaks at the end of her pregnancy, well, that's considered a natural birth, born of water, that which is flesh is flesh. But, verse six, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And so, of course, that's talking about being born by the Holy Spirit. And here's how it works. It's when the Holy Spirit comes inside of a man, a woman, a teenager, a boy or a girl, goes inside of their spirit, which is dead in trespasses and sins, and makes it alive. And so Nicodemus had tried his best to please God. He's been obeying all the rules and the rights and the regulations of Judaism. He's crossing every T, dotting every I. He's trying to keep all 613 laws in Torah. He's trying his best to be approved by God, to work his way to eternal life. But even though Nicodemus was religious on the outside, he was dead on the inside. 
And he needed to be born again. He needed to be born spiritually. And so the Lord loved Nicodemus. The Lord loves you. And so he loves us so much, he just keeps sharing truth with us until we get it. I'm not gonna read the whole message that, John, that Jesus gives to Nicodemus, but in the context of John 3, 3, you must be born again, in the context of that verse is John 3, 16. You guys know it all by heart. I'll read it. For God so loved the world. How many of you are glad that God loves you? Aren't you glad for the, the love of God? God is just. Make no bones about it. He's righteous. Sin will be paid for. God is also love. And God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes, say believes, in him should not perish but have eternal life. What does the word believe mean? It means to think to be true to be persuaded of, and my favorite, to place confidence in. And so what did this respected, this religious, right, this uh, very rich man named Nicodemus, what did he need to do? Here it is right here. He needed to stop trusting Nicodemus to save Nicodemus. And he needed to start putting his faith and his confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what happened to me when I was 17 years old. Many of you know my story, many visitors don't. I'll give you the short version. I was a senior in high school and I was very religious. I went to church probably every single Sunday since the time I was born through my high school senior year and there I am and I'm hanging out with my friend who by the way is different. You see all my other Friends and acquaintances are involved in all kind of sin, but Neil was different. And one day, Neil had a shirt pocket filled with paper, and I said, Neil, what's that in your pocket? And he, oh, it's a gospel track. I didn't know what that meant, but I was interested in religious things, so I said, well, can I have it? Sure. He gave it to me. I took it home. I started reading it. And as I'm reading God's word written out on this gospel track, the Holy Spirit who's out here begins to do a work and he's bringing me under conviction. How many of you know that before you can get saved, you must admit you're lost? And so I'm reading on this gospel track because I think I'm a good person. I think God's gonna accept me because I'm so good. But then I read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 it says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And I'm thinking, okay, if I can't be good enough to go to heaven, what am I gonna do? And I keep reading the verses, and the next verse says in Romans 6, 23, for the penalty of sin is death, and now I'm really under conviction because I know I've sinned, not just once or twice, but a lot. And so now I'm realizing that, hey, I'm under a death sentence. I'm 17 years old. I'm working at Little Caesar's Pizza 
in Tampa, Florida. I'm washing dishes. What does it mean when a 17-year-old is going over Bible verses in their head while they're at work? It means God's drawing you. That's what it means. And all of a sudden, I read the first part. I'm thinking about the first part. The wages of sin is death. is bothering me. And then, thank God for the second part of the verse, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And all of a sudden, it was like a light bulb went off in my head, eureka, and I realized this. I'm not good. There's none, good. There's none righteous, no, not one. I realized that I'm a sinner. I deserve the death penalty before God, but God loved me so much he sent his son and Jesus accepted the death penalty in my place and he was executed on a cross. And as soon as I transferred my trust from me, trusting me to get me to heaven and trusting Christ alone, putting my confidence in him and what he did on the cross, at that moment of faith, the Holy Spirit who was out here came inside of me. I could feel it, wave upon wave. It was like liquid love. It was like taking a shower in love all through my heart, over and over and over again. I was a changed young man. What happened? I was born again. The Spirit of God came in to my dead spirit, <clears throat> and in response to my repentance and faith, he made me alive. Why, because I'm so good? No, because he's so good. Because he's so good. And so you might say, well, I've never had a religious experience like that. Don't, don't, don't put your focus on the experience. Put your focus on Christ. Christ is the answer. And so I was born the first time in November of 1966. I know you're doing the math. I'm 51 years old, okay? <laughs> I was born the second time in May of 1984. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And I can say for the last 34 years, with all authenticity, that because Jesus Christ lives, I'm alive. I'm, I'm risen spiritually. And one day I will rise again physically, and so will you if, if your faith is in Jesus. And so after I put my faith in Christ, I was water baptized. You guys got to see four people uh, get baptized up on the screen today, and I don't know if I've said it to this service or not, but we're, we're having the privilege of baptizing about 40 people this weekend, this Easter weekend, so praise God for that. Yes, we can thank him for that. That's, that's awesome. And so that leads us to our second point. Since Christ is risen from the grave, how should we respond? It demands a response. And so number two is we need to be baptized to identify with the risen Christ. It's not a suggestion. It is a command from Jesus' lips. So we're done in John. Let's turn right two books to Romans 6. Romans chapter 6. Paul, now writing to the church at Rome, says in chapter 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. 
how can we who died to sin still live in it? You say, what do you mean, Paul? He explains himself in verses three and four. He says, don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, say we too, we too might walk in newness of life. And so what does the word baptized mean? It means simply to immerse or submerge. That's what the Greek word means. And so there is a spiritual baptism or immersion and then there is a water or physical baptism or immersion. Now, to follow the logic of the Apostle Paul here, there's a spiritual baptism that takes place when we turn from our sins and turn to Christ. And so, speaking of this spiritual baptism, uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 14, for by one spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, we were all baptized, immersed, into one body, the body of Christ, what's that? That's the church, not just this local church, but the big C church all around the world. And so by, by one Holy Spirit, we were all immersed into one church, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. He goes on to say in the same letter, 1 Corinthians six seventeen. I love this, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Love that. Have you been joined to the Lord Jesus? Then you're one spirit with Jesus. You say, how does that happen? The Holy Spirit. And so whenever it was, if you've come to this place in your life, when you turn from your sins and turn to Christ alone and put in your confidence in him, here's what happens. If this is you and this is Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes you and baptizes or immerses you into Jesus, and you become one spirit with the Lord. What does that mean? That means that whenever Christ died, you were there. When Christ was buried, you were there. And when Christ came out of that grave, you're still there. It's a miracle of the Holy Spirit. We saw this spiritual baptism illustrated in baptism on the screen today. And so the pastors and the elders took the people down into the water. That illustrates their identification with Jesus in his death and burial. And then they took that person up out of the water. That demonstrates their identification with Jesus alive from the dead. And by the way, it was with the power of another person's arm. When you take the plunge in the baptismal pool and you're in this position, you have no strength of your own. You're just thinking, please don't drop me. <laughs> in the same way that those people were dunked in the power of another, so we become one with Jesus in his death and one with Jesus in his resurrection by the power of the Holy Spirit who's got a lot bigger muscle than I do, by the way. The Spirit of God does that spiritually when we come to Christ and then physically in the waters that represent 
our new life in Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, here's what happens. You go down in the water and you say goodbye to the old life. My sin, my sin nature, my old person is in a watery grave. I am now alive in Jesus Christ. His spirit is filling me and his spirit is enabling me to walk in a way that accurately represents Jesus Christ. And so if you haven't been baptized, it's a beautiful picture. Since, say, please say the word since. Since you accepted Jesus Christ. Our next baptism will be May 5th and 6th. So about five weeks from now, we're gonna do another baptism out on the courtyard. Um, live stream it in during the worship as well. And you can follow the Lord in believers baptism. It's so important that you do that, um, that you sign up. You can go to our website, right? And then go down to the next steps area and then click on the baptism box to sign up for our May 5th and 6th baptism. Now you might say this, and I say this with all due respect. You may say, I've already been baptized. I was sprinkled as a baby. What you need to understand that being sprinkled as a baby is nowhere in this book. And so in this church, this book is our final authority for all matters of faith and practice, not any church tradition. And so whatever the book teaches is what we teach. And the book teaches that 100% of the time, first you choose to receive Jesus, and then you follow the Lord And by the way, sprinkling does not illustrate the death and burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Have you been baptized since, say since, you received Jesus Christ? If not, I encourage you to sign up. Pastor Bob's team will contact you. And so how in the world, since Jesus is risen from the grave, how should we respond to Christ's resurrection? Well, number three, this is important. We need to become active in a fellowship that worships the risen Christ. So we're done in Romans. Please go over left one book to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. It's the beautiful story of the birthday of the church. And so on the day of Pentecost, here's Peter who, by the way, denied Jesus three times and cowered in fear before a a slave girl. And now he's seen the the risen Christ. He's filled with the Spirit, and he's standing, and he's boldly proclaiming the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as he's sharing about Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection... The Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost and brings thousands of people under the conviction of their sin. And they're like, you know, what do we do? And so to make a long story short, that day, 3,000 people repented of their sins and came to Christ in faith. Now, what did they do after they placed their faith and confidence in Christ? What do you do after you believe? They were baptized. Okay, so look at Acts chapter 2, verse 41. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, so those who received Peter's word were, what's the word? Baptized. That's your second step. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 
Now, what did they do after they came up from the mikvah, <laughs> the Jewish baptismal, which by the way, if you go with us to Israel, I'll take you to the Temple Mount. I'll take you to where the archeologists dug down in the first century. I'll show you the mikvahs where Peter probably baptized. And so what did they do after they were baptized? Verse 42, and by the way, if you're new to Calvary, this right here is one of our hallmark verses for our local church, and this passage, this church is our model. You say, well, how do you, you know, why do you do the things you do at Calvary? Right here. Verse 42, and they, who's they? The people who just believed and were baptized. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Right, we call it the New Testament. And to the fellowship. When you keep reading down, they're getting together in homes in small groups. We call it Calvary groups. To the breaking of bread, that's communion. And to prayers. Now notice they're devoting themselves. They're not casual. They're devoting themselves to these things. They're a learning church. They're learning the apostles' teaching. They're a loving church. They're getting together in small groups, taking care of one another. They're a worshiping church. They're receiving communion. They're praying. And they're a missional church. It's not about us four no more. It's about we got a whole city that needs the love of Jesus Christ. And so we're gonna invite people to Christ. We're gonna invite people to come to the church. And so notice what these new believers did not do. If you're with me here, say amen. You gotta get this right here. Here's what they did did, did, did not do. They did not come up out of the baptismal waters, dripping wet, and look at Peter and say, thanks, Pete, see ya. And Pete says, well, when will I see you again? Um, I don't know, maybe in heaven. Bye. That's not what they did. These people, these 3,000 people, they would not think of living their lives apart from the local church. After they believed and after they were baptized, they devoted themselves to the local church. Apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. Look at what the author of Hebrews, God's word commands us to do. It says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Here it is not neglecting to meet together. And so I wanna make sure that everybody got that. And so not neglecting to meet together on the count of three, would you just say that out loud? That way, did you hear the boom? That means the ball's in your court. Just making sure you get this. Okay, so on the count of three, say not neglecting to meet together. Go ahead, one, two, three. That's a commandment of God. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, bad habit, but encouraging one another all the day, all the more as you see the day drawing near, the day of what? The day of Christ's return is getting closer and closer. And so God, not me, God says, stop skipping church. Come to church regularly. Stir one another up to love and to good works. And so as you live out this commandment of God, maybe God will lead you here, maybe he'll lead you to another church. Please make sure whatever church you go to that they teach this book, they teach God's word, and they exalt and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. If he's leading you here, don't forget, I'm gonna remind you one more time, this Thursday's Discover Calvary. 
6.30 p.m. You gotta sign up online at our website so that you can enjoy the free dinner and the free childcare. And so I want you to stay with me all the way to the end, but we're starting to wrap this up. What is the most important event in all of history? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so since Jesus has been raised from the dead, how in the world should we respond? It demands a response. Here's how we should respond. Number one, we should believe, put our confidence in, to receive new life from the risen Christ. The second step is we should be baptized to identify with the risen Christ in his death, burial, resurrection. And then number three, we should become active in a fellowship that worships the risen Christ. Now, with all due respect, here's what I'm wondering. If number one describes you and you really have received new life from Christ, here's what I know. When he comes in, he changes your desires. And now all of a sudden, you wanna be baptized. Now all of a sudden, you wanna be active in a fellowship that worships the risen Christ. But if you have no desire to be baptized, and you have no desire to go to church, then I question, is number one a reality in your life? Really? Or maybe did you, did you just say a little poem after a pastor 10 years ago or whatever it was? Ladies and gentlemen, all three of those things, according to God's word, they all go together. You see, we're here to help people become lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. We wanna see people get to the end of their lives and take their last breath and say, hey, I wasn't perfect, but here's what I know. I lived my life for Jesus. And then when we actually see him face to face, how many of you know that we're gonna see him eyeball to eyeball? We can hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. So I've got good news and bad news for you as we close. We'll start with the bad news. The bad news is that the wages of sin is death. We're all under a death sentence. Did you know that every second three people die? Three people just died. Three more people just died. Three more people just died. Every minute, 180 people die. Every day, about 260,000 people this day around the world will die. And what happens to them? Well, you need to know that when God made us, when he created us, he didn't just create us a physical being, he also gave us an immortal soul. And so our physical being will either be burnt up, cremated, or buried, but our spiritual being, our soul, that's gonna live forever in one of two places, heaven or hell. That's the only two places this book talks about. Jesus, in Luke chapter 16, Jesus said that the selfish, self-centered rich man, when he died, Jesus said in hell, he lifted up his eyes being in torments. 
and he cried out for someone to come and cool his tongue with a drip of water. Hell is real because Jesus said hell is real. That's the bad news. How many of you are grateful for the good news of the gospel? The good news is that even though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the good news is that God loves you so much. He sent his son. And even though you were under a death penalty, Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, went and took your death penalty and he was executed as a criminal. God, God in the flesh, suffered and died and took your death penalty so that you could live forever. That's love. And now he stands and he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the only way to heaven. You say, well, what about all those other religions? Let me tell you something. No other religious leader of any other world religion ever hung half naked on cross beams and paid for your sins. That's why Jesus is the only way. He's the only way. And it's not enough to know about God in your head. Don't miss heaven by 12, 13, 14 inches. You gotta know him in your heart. You gotta respond. You've gotta come to Jesus. Do you wanna to come to Jesus? Here's the, here's the question. Some of you have never given your life to Jesus. He loves you, he's calling you. Others of you, you did that a long time ago, but you're so far away from the Lord. Guess what? He loves you too. He's calling you home. And so if you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus Christ, if you're here today and you need to come back to Jesus Christ, I'm gonna ask you to show your faith by standing to your feet and remain standing right here and now. What better day than Easter Sunday, 2018? You just stand to your feet if you need to come to Christ, whoever you are. Stand to remain standing. Stand to remain standing. Let's really, church family, let's encourage these people. God bless you in the back. God bless you guys. Now, now hold on, hold on for one second, okay? So, some of you stand up and you feel self-conscious and you wanna sit down. I, I wanna ask you to please remain standing. Listen to this. Jesus took a public stand on a nail for you. We can stand for him before his people who are encouraging you. So stand and remain standing if you're serious about coming to Christ today. Stand and remain standing. God bless you. God bless you. Take your stand for the Lord today. Church family, be praying because I know there's more people that need to come to Jesus this morning. He wants to make you new inside. He's the only one who can do it. But you've got to respond. Put your confidence in him this morning. So here's just the last call. If you wanna join these brave souls, just stand to your feet and we'll go to our next step today. So those of you who are standing, first of all, I just wanna commend you for your bravery. 
right? That's, that's important. Second of all, second of all, I want to say it again. I can't say it enough. God loves you so much in spite of your sin. And that's why he bled, because he wants to wash your sin away. Only the blood of Jesus can forgive sins. And so what we're going to do, the best way you know how, I'm going to lead you in a prayer, but the best way you know how, you're not perfect, none of us are, but you're just going to turn your back on your old life and your sin. And you're going to turn to Jesus. It's called repentance and faith. And you're going to receive him and his forgiveness and make him the Lord of your life, the master, the boss of your life. So if you're ready to do that, from your heart to his, don't repeat a poem after a pastor. Say this to the Lord and say it out loud, okay? So let's all bow our heads and close our eyes and say, Dear Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins and living apart from you. But today I come home. I know the penalty of sin is death. But I believe you died in my place and rose again. Now I open my heart. I ask you to forgive me and save me. Thank you for coming to seek and save the lost. I submit to you as my boss and my Lord. Help me to live for you. Can we really encourage these people who are so brave to do that publicly? So, so happy for you. You guys can be seated. You guys can be seated. Now, here's what I always hear, you know, come on, really that easy? Listen to, listen to the word of God. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's a promise right here in this book. Now, maybe you're here today and you didn't commit your life to Christ. When you walk out those doors today, I want you to walk out remembering one thing. God loves you. He loves you. And he's going to keep calling you until you come home. Prayer partners, come forward. Elders, come forward. Those of you who gave your life to Christ or came back to Christ, we have a free gift for you. Okay, so as I'm gonna close in prayer here in a second, people are gonna leave. Some are gonna come up for prayer and you can come up for prayer for anything that you want. Those of you who gave your life to Christ or came back to Christ, you come here and we're gonna give you a free gift to help you in your walk with the Lord. Um, if you're visiting, Make sure you stop in the foyer on your way out to get your free book and coffee mug. And next week, we're gonna continue our verse-by-verse -verse study in Mark, and we're gonna talk about storms because our next story, as we go verse-by-verse, -verse, is Jesus and the disciples in the storm. And here's what you need to know. If Jesus said, we're going over, then we're not gonna go under. Okay, that's next week. I want you to invite a friend. Come to one of our three services. You have invite cards on your seats. So if we could stand for closing prayer.
Those of you, again, who gave your lives to Christ, please come, come up after closing prayer so we can encourage you. So Father, thank you. Thank you so much for your love for us that just goes on and on and on. Lord, I just pray your blessings upon this congregation as they go their ways. Help us, enable us to live for you and accurately represent you to our friends, neighbors, coworkers, and loved ones. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at calvarypsl.com. Click on I'm New Here, then Knowing Christ.